Freedom Convoy supporter at the head of a developer lobbyist group in Edmonton. Stolen cars are ending up shipped from the Port of Montreal. The cost of quarantine hotels raises some eyebrows and landmines in Ukraine. Who's using them? Good morning. It's Thursday, February 2nd. I'm Nora, and here are your headlines. We start this morning in Edmonton after news that Kaylin Anderson, a top developer lobbyist in Edmonton, donated to the Freedom Convoy twice. Independent journalist Jeremy Appel at his substack, The Orchard, has found two entries in the leaked logs of Canadians who supported the Freedom Convoy. She gave them $400 total and sent very supportive messages. Anderson has had roles with the city of Edmonton in urban planning for more than 15 years. She was also the chief planner of the National Capital Commission in Ottawa for a time. She comments frequently in media, writes opinion pieces for the Edmonton Journal, and sits on the advisory committee for the University of Alberta's School of Urban and Regional Planning. Her current role is head of the Urban Development Institute. According to their website, this is how the Institute defines themselves. Quote, Since 1958, UDI has been the voice of real estate development, addressing issues facing the land development industry, creating networking opportunities, and collaborating with municipal and elected officials and other organizations to support economic investment, development, jobs, and talent creation, and positive change throughout the region. Uh, That was a single sentence. (laughs) A recent media release that UDI issued with other groups like the Chamber of Commerce condemned budget deliberations at City Hall because they promised money for more bike lanes and climate resiliency in city buildings, but then also didn't cut somewhere else, suggesting that municipal taxes would have to rise. Oh, the humanity. I wonder what she thinks of defunding the police. And now to Montreal, where an investigation from Leah Hendry and Ben Shingler at CBC Montreal has found stolen vehicles are often ending up at the port of Montreal ready to be shipped overseas. Montreal's port is huge. It spans 30 kilometers and more than 1.5 million containers pass through it per year. There's been a spike in car thefts in Montreal over the past year. Just under 9,600 cars were stolen in 2022, and that's up from 6,500 in 2021. Police say that many of the stolen vehicles end up overseas. The most common vehicles to be stolen are SUVs and pickup trucks. I'm kind of thinking to myself, good riddance. It's like global car redistribution. Anyway, The spike in thefts is being blamed on a slowdown of new vehicle production, according to experts, say Hendry and Shingler. But people are also able to more easily bypass security systems to remotely access or reprogram key fobs. It begs the question, what happened to using like regular keys and locks? (laughs) Workers at the port say they don't see CBSA officers very often, and yet they still found 1,050 stolen vehicles at the port in 2022. That was up from 269 in 2017. That's like five times almost. Cars stolen from all over Quebec and even as far as Alberta are being sent off through the port of Montreal to Italy and then on to the Middle East and West Africa, though one person featured in the story found her car in the Dominican Republic. 
I found it interesting that the authors had noted pretty high up in the article that these car thefts, quote, are not a victimless crime if replacements are often covered under insurance, unquote. While it sure sounds to me like a victimless crime when explained like that, it does drive up insurance premiums and then also funds organized crime. It doesn't still make me feel all too sad about someone losing a new car and then having it p- pretty quickly replaced. Anyway, at least a stolen bike is more likely to end up on Kijiji than it is to end up in Jordan. Now to national news. New information coming from an access to information request is suggesting that the federal government paid a lot, a lot, a lot of money for federal quarantine hotels. In Calgary, the Weston Calgary Airport Hotel was given $6.8 million in 2022 to be a quarantine location for travelers with COVID-19. That might have been money well spent if there hadn't only been 15 travelers housed there. That breaks out to $450,000 per person. Over three years, the Weston Calgary Airport Hotel received $26.8 million to pay for lodging and food for folks in quarantine. In the first two years, the program hosted just under 1,500 people. It was 2022 where there was so few. This location was one of 11 quarantine sites spread across Canada. Tyler Dawson at Post Media reported that while there's been no disclosure of what the whole cost of the quarantine program was, what we do know is Blacklock's reporter has reported that they spent $200 million on quarantine hotels from March 2020 to August 2021. As information starts to come out more and more about the kind of money that was being thrown around during the headiest days of the pandemic, it will be interesting to see what kind of accountability measures there are and what kind of information we will be able to find out from all levels of government. Now to Ukraine, where an investigation by NPR's Julian Haida has found the use of landmines is being confirmed on both sides of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Human Rights Watch is saying that they've documented the use of pedal landmines by both Russia and Ukraine. Russia has used them, quote, in a widespread fashion, and Human Rights Watch has found many cases of Ukraine using them as well, specifically around the city of Izium, which is currently occupied by Russia. Pedal mines indiscriminately maim and kill if they're triggered. These kinds of landmines are prohibited under the Anti-Personnel Landmine Ban Treaty of 1997. Ukraine is a signatory to the treaty, but Russia is not. It's worth mentioning that Canada is also a signatory, but has added the footnote that if Canadian soldiers were training or working with a country that is not a signatory, it would not place Canada in contravention of the convention. Human Rights Watch has found that 11 civilians have been injured by pedal mines and there's been one death. The casualties were Ukrainian and the placement of the mines suggest to Human Rights Watch that they were placed by Ukrainian forces based on the positioning of where Russia-occupied forces are. Local residents told NPR that injured Ukrainians were transported to Russia for treatment. Ukrainian medical workers have said that they've seen as many as 50 people, including five children, be amputated related to pedal mine injuries. The UK Ministry of Defense accused Russia of scattering pedal mines on the streets of Donetsk. That's all for your headlines this morning. It's Thursday, February 2nd. I'm Nora. Just realized you're going to get a month of me mispronouncing the word February. I hope you have a great day.